Today, my pocket diary tells me, is Mohammed's birthday. And perhaps I should now say, blessings be on his name. I want to take this stray bit of information as the starting point for the remarks I want to make. I'm not going to go over what's in my catalogue essay. I rather want to look at two other questions that all art historians, indeed all historians, face. A question of evidence and a question of interpretation of that evidence. When I said that today is Mohammed's birthday, of course it is one of those historical dates of which people invented. Nobody knows what year Mohammed was born in, let alone which day of the year. That, of course, as we all know, is exactly the same with the birthday of the Christ. Christmas Day has nothing to do with whatever the date might have been any more than we know what the year was. The one difference, I suppose, between Mohammed and the Christ is that we are certain that Mohammed actually did get born. That's less certain about Christ. So we have these questions of factual interpretation. Then there are questions of response. Six or seven years ago, it would never have occurred to me even to think about mentioning the prophet's name and then saying afterwards, blessings be on his name. But we have all learnt as to why that might be a precaution. So I now want to go on and pursue these two questions of evidence and interpretation. Now, the first one for evidence. Much of what we know about Tom Roberts in Spain comes from a response that Dr Maloney wrote to Tom Roberts's biographer, R.H. Kroll, 50 and more years after they went to Spain together. Now, this is a portrait that one of the other uh, members of that expedition, John Russell, did of Maloney. The letter, and those of you who have read it, uh, will know what a good rollicking yarn it is. Uh, Tom flirting with the ladies, what a great time they had together trolling through Spain. Now, the first thing one thinks of as a professional historian is, well, it's a greatly shaped story. How much truth is there in it? How accurate is it? And we've all seen recently the case with Manning Clark's remarks about Kristallnacht and taking in a story and retelling it. And this is what we all do. We shape an event until we make the best story out of it. We leave out the boring bits. We cut over the bits in which you think, oh, well, you know, we don't need that bit to make the main point. And the same, I think, is true of Howard Mark II and his eviction from his family farm. That there, the story of what happened when he was 11 might also have been shaped in the retelling. And, of course, it's going to be. This is what happens. So... Can we rely on Maloney's account 50 years later? And indeed, how often has he told this story? I reckon he's probably told it at least once a year for the previous 50 years. Probably twice a year. He's a talker, he's a politician. Of course he's going to tell and polish all these tales. The same one might say about Madame Good's remarks about her connections 
All of this evidence we have that is collected by Kroll in the 1930s is very suspect because people want to put Tom in the best light and all of those things. Then we have the question of another kind of evidence. We do know that Tom was actually in Spain and some of the evidence we have is visual. Now, Maloney tells us that Roberts told him that one of the things he wanted to do when he was in Spain was to paint a picture like this, a painting in the gallery here at that time, uh, artists, French artists in a Spanish inn. Now, what I can tell you about what Roberts did there was he got drunk and had siestas, learned to play the guitar and generally had a holiday. So in that sense, he lived out the painting rather than reproduced it. <laughs> the other painting from this time, which is in the gallery, to great significance to it, and what I'm doing here and showing you this again is to do what Gerald Vaughan was doing, to take us back visually to a culture which we have now lost. We would look at this picture and say, yes, it is a very stylish, well-made piece of art. But the notion that anybody could be excited by it and think, wow, you know, this is great stuff and I want to do it. But that's what Tom Roberts thought of that picture. And we, in some way, have to take ourselves back to that kind of visual culture to try and understand why those two pictures I've just shown you could have been things that he wanted to do. And indeed, a painting like this he ruined a large part of his life trying to produce an Arabian Nights picture called The Sleeper Awakened with a dancing girl in it. Um, now, why do you want to do this to yourself? Well, it's easier to see going forwards than it is looking backwards. Now, we have some more visual evidence that Tom was there, and this is it. This painting by Ramon Casas, the Catalan artist who they bumped into in Granada. And this painting has become... We're now seeing it, many, I mean, most of us, I think, for the first time ever, uh, because it's come from a private collection and is now, fortunately, in the public collection. It is an important piece of art history in Australia. There's absolutely no doubt about that. It's even perhaps a more important piece in the art history writing in Australia because this connection with Casas has long been held as the moment in which Tom has the epiphany. There is always in art history this sense that one artist lays hands on another artist. Beethoven's kiss, all the pianists who were kissed in turn by Beethoven and it gets passed on. This, you know, is there anybody who wasn't taught the piano by Nadia Boulanger? Uh, so this tradition, you've got to find somebody and you pass it on through there. So we have this painting, and you can see the free brushstroke, all of those things you want in it. But that is Casas's self-portrait a few months earlier. This is how Casas was painting, not like that free brushstroke that he paints the Tom Roberts portrait in. You have to stop and think. Now, the next picture we have is this painting. It's called, not surprisingly, Spanish Lady. Now, if you think of the Casas self-portrait, what he's done is to dress himself up as 
an Andalusian flamenco dancer. He is a Catalan. They could not be more different. But he has put himself into costume. This is a standard thing for people to do with portraiture. It has a couple of hundred years of this tradition. You don't have your portrait painted, you get into a costume and have your portrait painted. So when we then go to the Spanish lady, one question we have to ask ourselves is, is she Spanish or is she an English lady dressed up in this Spanish manner to go to a costume ball? I don't, I'm not suggesting that's what it is, but we know how much of portraiture was done of ladies, particularly in costume, and how popular the costume ball was not only in Europe, but in Melbourne. If you look at any of those Melbourne newspapers and the social pages, they are full of costume balls and telling you what people uh, wore. So we have this, this whole series of questions then from the written evidence and from the visual evidence that may not be saying what they appear to be telling us. And we need to interrogate them at every point. And an exhibition like we've been presented with is, of course, a wonderful occasion to spark those ideas in front of us. Now, the attitudes questions. We've overlapped that already. Some of these questions about these paintings have already moved from fact in towards attitude. But to go back to Muhammad, it's not true to say that people would not have known the expression blessings be on his name in the 1880s and 1890s. Indeed, one of the consequences of the collapse of faith in Christianity and the rise of Darwinism and secularism was the, loss, was the search for a new faith, a new religion. And Alfred Deacon, who went through every religion uh, at, you know, and every other kind of uh, modern new age idea, went through Islam as well. You read his prayer books and his... Uh, Notebooks at this time, Islam is very important for him as one of these ideas. Now, as I said, we've seen these other uh, paintings of the, uh, of the Posada and of the question of propriety, those earlier paintings, about how we put ourselves into seeing them. The other great artist, of course, cuts across this is the Spanish painter Velasquez, and a lot of my essay revolves around that. Some people have argued, of course, that Velasquez is one of the founts of Impressionism, however we define that. Um, indeed, it kind of a contest between Velasquez as the founder or is it the French who come out of that and what do they take and how does it operate? There's a whole literature around those questions. I want to ask you a question, but I don't want you to put your hands up. How many of you have been to the Prado? How many of you expect to die without going to Spain? Now, go back 120 years. If we'd had an art audience in Australia then, and I'd ask that question, very, very few other people in the audience, apart from Tom Roberts, would have been able to say, I've been to the Prado, I've been to Granada, I've seen and done these things, you haven't. We now, as an audience, have a different visual culture. We know things. How wonderful it would be to have a Velasquez exhibition in Australia. That is the great exhibition we've yet to have from overseas. 
But when we look at Velasquez and relate to Roberts, what are we looking for? For the subject matter, for the rough life, for the ordinary folk who Velasquez sometimes puts into his art? Or are we looking for the textures, that open brushstroke for which he becomes famous? Or, indeed, for the composition? Now, there's a, a chain of development that lots of people have pointed to. Uh, this extraordinary freestanding figure, the Manet, then the Roberts, and there's any number of these where Roberts has characters on these panels standing in this free way. The, I picked the Marshall Hall one because here you've almost got Marshall Hall lifting himself off the ground. He's not only standing free in the space, but he's gone one stage beyond that. Um, and the uh, Whistler uh, over there, and there, is, there are uh, other Robert's paintings with violins and things. You could fill in a number of those blanks. But is this the connection? Or is this one strand of the connection that we should be looking for as, as we follow back through here? Terence Lane makes another connection. Uh, this one and this one. I'm not going to steal his thunder. I want to show you that for the, for the moment. What I want to do, though, is to raise another possibility that we face when we see Velasquez now, can we see it except through that veil? If we look at a Velasquez portrait, can we see it without Francis Bacon? What do we have to do intellectually and culturally and socially and psychologically to see it in the way in which the 19th century saw them? These are exciting tasks. I'm not saying they're impossible barriers. That's the excitement of, of art. I want to conclude by making a different kind of point again about history. We began with Mohammed's birthday. March is Tom Roberts's birthday. And last year was the 150th anniversary of that birth. A fact that may have escaped your notice because almost nothing was done to commemorate it. It was also, of course, Bernard Smith's 90th birthday last year and a little more was happened properly to celebrate that. What I want to say in conclusion is that it seems to me that any narrative of Australian history, of European Australian history, which omits our creative spirits in favour of trained killers and mendacious politicians is an incoherent narrative. We can thank the people who have all brought this show together for helping us to go back to the 1890s and the 1990s, the 1880s and 1890s. And over 20 years, we've seen other opportunities to do this with the Great Golden Summer Show and a whole range of individual retrospectives. What these shows have helped us to do, I think, is to perform our historical duties and to revise our views of the past. Revision is what history is. It's not a challenge or a threat to our coherent narrative. I want to thank the people again for giving us this opportunity to revise those views, just as the Impressionists, in all their forms, helped generations to revise their views 
of how they viewed the world.